Welcome to Rowan College of Burlington County's Baroness Podcast. I'm Dr. Brooke Myatt, Program Chair and Assistant Professor of our Entertainment Technologies Department. I'm the co-chair of Women's Advocacy Group, a subcommittee of the President's Advisory Council on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. This monthly series highlights women in leadership while encouraging listeners to build their skills, connect with the community, and visualize the opportunities available to women in various professions. Today, tune in for a female's perspective on the Burlington County community. We're here to listen to these amazing women. If you want to hear from women who lead and inspire, this podcast is for you. Today joining us is the Dean of Liberal Arts here at Rowan College of Burlington County, Dr. Donna Vandergrift, and Psychology Adjunct Professor Emily Graham. Today we're talking about the last lecture, Life Lessons, and Pursuing Your Passion, and the Power of Connections. So welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Baroness Podcast. Good morning. Morning. First, I always have everybody do a quick elevator pitch because both of you sent me these amazing bios, um, but I think if I sat here and read them, we'd probably eat up our whole time here together, and I don't want to do that, but I'm going to start with you, Emily, first. If you could share with our listeners a little bit about yourself. Brooke, you're too kind, and thank you so much for having us here today. Um, As you mentioned, I'm an adjunct here at RCBC, but um, my other superpower is I am a director of sustainability at Holman, um, where I also co-chair our Women in Leadership program as part of our DEI effort. So grateful to be in this conversation today. Um, I'm also a mom, uh, do a little social influencing on the side, and love to just be a part of the community. So thank you again. So this is going to be your wheelhouse here. So is this one of your first time being on a podcast? This is the or? first time on a podcast, not a first time talking to strangers, recorded on a camera all day, every day. <laughs> (laughs) about good sales and cute outfits. (laughs) Well, then there you go. And Dr. Dean Vandergrift, I know that you have uh, spoken many times. Have you been on a podcast before? Is this your first time? This is my first time on a podcast. Well, welcome. I'm so happy that you're here with us. Can you give our listeners a quick little window into who you are? Sure. So I've been at the college for a little over 30 years now. Started as an adjunct, went full time, and then eventually became the Dean of Liberal Arts. Um, it's been it's been an interesting path. I've loved it here. I love my students, and I'm really glad to be sitting next to one of my former students um, with this podcast. So this is very exciting for me. I know, and I, I love that term that I said, and I spoke about connectivity, and I also said who you are and um, what was really powerful for me when I was first hired here. um, I had many uh, bosses, so to speak, but I am so excited to actually have my boss on the program today. So if you don't know that, uh, Dr. Vandergrift is my boss. So I'm a little nervous sitting on the other side because normally it's reversed here. But what I thought of when I, I wanted to do this talk today was something that I came and, and watched, I'm thinking it was about six years ago. It was five fall, or six. Fall of 2016. Okay. And I came to a lecture and it was called The Last Lecture. And would you be able to share with us what is 
the last lecture. Where did it come from? Sure. So um, many years ago, Carnegie Mellon started a program where they were doing these lecture series where they were inviting a professor or some other leader at the campus to speak about things that mattered to them, things that were important. The goal was for students to see these instructors and understand their perspective. One of the individuals that they brought onto this lecture series was um, a man named Randy Pausch. So Randy Pausch had a exciting and interesting story, but a very sad story as well. So um, before, right before he got invited to do this lex- last lecture, he found out that um, he had pancreatic cancer. And um, so when he did his when he actually did the, the lecture, um, he knew that he had a chance to be, you know, he wasn't going to survive his cancer. And he did an amazing, amazing lecture and influenced so many people and unfortunately soon after did pass away from it. Um, but his legacy and his message just carried through all of all of what he was presenting, and it was just so powerful. Um, so years later, when I became dean, um, John Costa, our student activities director, was new here, and he decided to bring the last lecture on this campus, and he invited me to be the first speaker for the last lecture. And can you tell us, what was the title of that lecture? So so people laugh at me because I chose this title, but it, it was titled, Don't You Know Who I Am? And and it, a lot of people were like, well, yeah, we know who you are, or that's an obnoxious title. But the point of the title was, no, you don't know who I am. No, no, we don't know each other. It's it's so hard to get to know somebody. It's so hard to know what our background is. And especially, and Emily might agree with this, and you as well, since you're, we're all instructors, that when you stand up in front of a group of people and and are an expert at something, they think they don't necessarily understand. There's so much more to you. There's so much more depth, so much more. And so what I wound up doing in my last lecture is basically opening myself up to the world and telling everybody all of my horrible mistakes and all the things that, all the mishaps, all the right. missteps. And that's what makes us real. And it makes us real in the eyes of our students. Because like you said, all these students that we speak to up in front of the classroom, they don't really know, you know, your background, where you're from. You were ju- you could be just like them. And I think, Emily, what you shared with me was that, that's what you loved about Dr. Vandergrift and that's what kind of connected you to her. Could you kind of share where was that moment for you when you were a student here at RCBC and seeing Dr. Vandergrift up there? Like, how did that influence you? And I'm sure I know it influenced you because you're here right now. Here but how, how did how how did that influence you and to what where were our, where you are today? Yeah, it's when I sat and reflected about what we were going to chat about today was psychology was an accident for me. I signed up for psychology because it was gen ed. And when I met Professor Vandegrift, I told her, you know, I was going pre-med. I was just here at RCBC at the time, you know, getting my gen ed credits and I was moving on. And I sat in her first class. It was psych 101. And the stories she told were something that as a student you could connect to. It wasn't academia that you see in movies. It wasn't a professor that had been in a library for years and they were going to read you a textbook. She told real stories about herself. We got to know her as a human, as a mom. We learned stories about her son and, you know, her sons. Um, And each of those moments made the content in terms of what we were learning in the classroom, noise in the background. You know, when I took an exam, it was what was the story that she told? Or we got insight into who she was or how this 
information, whatever it was, whatever psychology class it was related to the rest of the world. And I take that now as an adjunct. And that's a lesson for me of how do I make a memorable moment for a student? Because it wasn't just about learning. It was about motivating me. I followed, you know, Dr. Vandergriff to every one of her psychology classes um, because it just became real for me. And how does that make you feel now? How many years later? How many years you've been teaching now? So I, I yeah. started teaching 31 years 31 ago. 31 years ago. So yeah. 31 years. How does that make you feel, stories like this? Well, first off, it makes me very emotional. And I'm, <clears throat> it makes me very emotional because, one, that was my whole goal. My whole goal. I mean, it wasn't. I wasn't storytelling because I thought it was fun to tell stories about my kids. Although that was fun, telling stories about my sure, kids. Sure, we all love doing that. that. <laughs> <laughs> embarrassing ones. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny. Some people... Some of my colleagues would say, well, you shouldn't be talking about your kids in class. But but because of what I taught, a story about somebody I knew made everything applicable, made it come alive. You could see psychology in action. And I think that's what we should all be doing as an instructor, see the content in action. There are classes, for example, um, yours, where you are doing hands-on stuff. We don't do hands-on stuff. I, do, I lecture and I, I talk. I, I try to provide information that way. And the only way for them, for people to see it and feel it is to, to experience things that they're familiar with. So the stories are told happened to be about my kids because I felt I was allowed to talk about my kids, but to make it evident that you, you also experience them. So when I told a story, it was something that they most likely were involved in. They saw it before, they saw it on TV, they experienced it themselves, and then they could easily, as Emily said, connect the dots to what that meant and why that concept was important to know, and then possibly to use that concept in their life later. Mm -hmm. And so the students that were really paying attention really were able to do that. They were able to take this, and you could take this hard concept, but see it, and then apply it to a whole bunch of different things. Challenging moments in the classroom for you. Yeah, there was, you know, never a time that you couldn't be paying attention because, you know, uh, right. the call on factor was oh, certainly yeah. there. But it was, sure. you know, I don't know that it was ever challenging to the point of as a student that I felt like I, you know, couldn't relate or that I, you know, wasn't receiving the material. I think the challenging part was how to make, you know, Dr. Vandergriff proud. She, you know, instilled this motivating factor in each one of us. Gosh, you're going to make me emotional. Um, I think we're all going to cry. Everybody go to YouTube right now and watch the last lecture. And if you haven't listened to it, we actually have it up on our RCBC uh, YouTube page. Um, And I I actually listened to it three or four times before coming in here uh, to interview um, because it is so it is so powerful. And and what I love about all of us here is we're storytellers in our own right. Right. Like my background's filmmaking. And I tell my students as as young filmmakers, one of our first things we do as filmmakers is we want to tell our own story. Right. Something that we're connected with. So all my students pick these deep topics that they're connected to. And that's what young filmmakers do. And I feel like you each of you are doing the same thing, right? Telling those stories that will connect with your students to help them, you know, flourish in whatever they're going to to be next. Now, how do you take those fundamental things that you learned from Dr. Vandergrift and how do you use them in your classroom today? That's a great question. I, you know, I'm blessed to be teaching courses for RCBC that are more experiential than just text. 
Um, and I too am non-traditional given my, we joked earlier, my, my day job. I come from the business world and I can help now some of our psychology students understand that psychology is more applicable than just traditional clinical type work. Um, so I do some profession and practice and even some supervised internship where we can kind of use the concept of what's happening in a workplace or where you might be going in terms of your next role right. beyond sure. being a student. Well, psychology and business is a huge push now of, of having people on site and things like that. And so that's such an interesting thing that yeah. Emily, Emily has an interesting academic path and career path, she believed she was going to go into a different area, fell in love with psychology. And I think at some point she thought she was going to do psychology, whatever doing psychology mm -hmm. means, and then realized that her, her skill set actually translated more to business. And so now she's, and, and psychology, as you said, psychology and business match so well, but what a perfect, what an interesting and perfect pathway that you can, you can look at her for and see how, how these ideas and the, the training that she got led her to her current position in a way that makes her so successful because she, you can't do business without psychology. Absolutely. And right. it, it's such a match and she's, she's turned it into a wonderful career and she's so successful and so capable. And that was something that you shared too in your last lecture that you didn't think you were going to go into teaching, right? I think you said your dad, I wasn't sure if it was your dad or your mom that had said, you should try teaching. And you were like, teaching, what are you talking about? Like, I'm going to go get my master's. I'm going to go into. I wanted to do, be her. Yeah, right. I, I, I wanted her career. I remember, I remember <laughs> you were, I know you were, you were sharing that, that story. And it's so interesting that right now, one of her, you know, fabulous students is now living the dream here. That's so awesome. I mean, it's crazy to think about. Um, we had always stayed connected post my time at RCBC, you know, social media became a thing and you could track everybody's life. Sure. And, you know, even when I graduated, I did, I thought I was going to, and if you could see our air quotes, do psychology, I tried it and, and it wasn't right for me. And there was these moments where I would think back to, how did we learn in classroom about psychology and what were the other attributes or competencies that I was receiving that I could give back to somebody? Um, and I stumbled upon Dr. Vandergriff in uh, public and it was one of those like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is you. We're having this, like I was fangirling over Dr. Vandergriff in public. I'm like, How cool is oh that? It's like God. fandom. Yeah, I know. There's <laughs> got to be fandom out there with yeah. uh, Dean Vandergriff. Seriously. But I'm so impressed with her. I mean, it's, it's mutual. This is totally yeah. mutual. And it was like, if you ever thought about teaching, like give me a call. And uh, I look back now and it was like, December of 2019, one of my coworkers said to me, you know, like, if you've ever wanted to teach, like, what are you waiting for? It's about to be 2020. Little, little did we know what was going to happen in 2020. Right. Um, it was that moment of like, let me send an email. It was the most nerve wracking email I've already always like ever in my life written. Right. It was that and moment. Here, of she's like, probably waiting for yeah. it any day in her yep, inbox. Definitely. Yeah. Cause she needs, there's like yeah. a minute and a half yeah. timestamp. I've never received a reply email so quickly. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> right. And it was like, but writing the email was like, I needed to be professional. Professional, but I also needed to be a little bit of her friend because that's what I had built You're her to be. You're putting psychology into oh the email. Gosh, oh my yes. gosh. Right. And the reply said to me, I've been waiting for this email. And I mean, you know, what I love about this story too, is it's, it's a wonderful story about community because I know you didn't grow up locally, no. but what I try and share too, through this podcast is that community connection. And I think a lot of people don't realize how powerful community college is. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to touch on that? Cause now you are a part of the community. You're working with students in the community. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, that's a fabulous concept because my joke, and I'm a military brat, I lived all over the world and landing in New Jersey is probably the last spot I thought I was going to land. Um, And Burlington County has just been an amazing opportunity for me. You know, every job that I've had has been here in county. And um, as I thought about where my career was going and how I could give back to this community, it was a little bit of how do I inspire the future? And that was my connection for me. I journaled for 362 days every day that I left work, 362 days every day that I left work of how I was feeling and what I did that day. And it rose to the surface that I felt best when I was helping to inspire or motivate others. And the quickest way I could do that is helping maybe share a little bit of my story or myself with others, which teaching and being passionate about what I can offer um, really connected. And I and and hearing you speak right now, I feel like I'm hearing Donna up on stage talking because she also has a similar background. You helped families in the military. You are in the county working with students. I mean, how does hearing this story? I mean, it must be like looking in the mirror. Uh, it it very much is, and I and I think we have more than likely that's why we connected in class Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways is that we were both individuals that truly wanted to grow as an, grow as an individual, um, become something bigger and better, not, you know, not like on a stage or like, but just be better and continue to grow. And, and we wanted to get back to others. You know, I, I got into teaching because I watched instructors teach both wonderfully and poorly. And I decided that if education was going to work well, it had to be wonderfully. We had to have great instructors. We had to have that. And I believed that I could do that. And so I got into this because a girlfriend of mine's was dating a guy whose father taught at the institution and he brought me in, he mentored me, he helped me grow as an instructor and eventually I kind of took over his role at the institution. And and I'm here because I wanted to give back. I I have a degree in psychology and counseling. I thought I was gonna counsel, but, it, but that wasn't the pathway for me. That wasn't how I was gonna give back. It was going to be in the classroom and it was going to be help, it was going to be to help people grow and expand and see the potential in themselves and, and to find pathways for themselves that worked for them. And I think education does that. And what's interesting to me is, and I know what's something that was hard for you was leaving the classroom. And leaving students and leaving students like like Emily and now in this different role of yours, how now do you see yourself giving back? Because I know you're giving back to uh, faculty and administration because, of course, I'm, you know, you're my boss and you give back to me tenfold. But how do you feel that you're giving back to your to your faculty? So as you, as you know, when I, when I left the classroom, I bawled my eyes out. I literally, as I had to tell my students, I stood in front of the class and couldn't get the words out that I was leaving them because I had to leave in the middle of a semester too. So that was extremely difficult. Sure. Um, but as a dean, I, I took the job as dean because I thought that there was more to get done. And in my job in a lot of ways is supporting faculty and to support faculty doing their jobs is then going to make sure that the students that we have are going to be better. I have the opportunity to hire somebody like Emily. I have the opportunity to help make decisions about who's going to be in our classrooms and how they're going to teach. And 
not how they're going to teach in a daily way, but what's going to be the curriculum? How are we going to move forward as a division of liberal arts? And I figured at this point, I had the skill set for that. I'd been at the college for a long time. Um, it seemed like it was going to be the right position for me. And and it was going to help our students. And the better the better that I can support our, our faculty, the better they're going to be able to support our students. And for Emily, you're going reverse, right? So you're in corporate world, then flipping it back to the classroom. What do you think, what, what are you bringing back to now corporate worlds, uh, super, uh, super, super power job um, that you're learning from these students um, here at RCBC? What are you bringing back to the corporate world? In my uh, superpower day job, you know, I get to work with a number of individuals um, as they develop as employees. And I've really taken a lot of lessons from my students of, you know, clear communication or just um, really expanding on who they are as individuals, which helps me then find ways to communicate with some of the younger generation of employees coming into our business. You know, our front line are most critical in the business world. And it's been really cool to see some of the faces from RCBC at Holman. Um, and when they, you know, recognize me or know that I'm an adjunct here, the conversation flows and they feel at home. And so it's about creating, again, that sense of community, but now in the workplace, a little bit more of a safe zone from that for them, you know, beyond the college campus. Um, but also I've thought about ways to connect. You know, I, I'm now teaching a supervised internship course. So what are the internship opportunities to now bring students from campus and give them a step into what that business environment would look and feel like at an organization where I, I have thrived, but also the community aspect and the culture of that organization is where I would bring any one of, I call them my kids in class, any one of my kids, I would sure. welcome them into that community. I know, I keep having to say, I can't say my kids, my students, but I, I, I totally agree with you that I feel like, because I'm so connected to mm -hmm. my students and, and in my program, similar to you, we also have an internship. And I'm very, um, you know, I, I think it's a beautiful thing to have in a curriculum as an internship because I think it gives them that experience that they can't get in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, bringing this all together, I think what I what I also love about working with you, Don, is that you understand that. You, you understand about bringing real-world experience and that it's not just in the classroom, that you have to think beyond that. Do you want to kind of touch on your feelings about experiential learning and bringing that into the classroom? So let me start broader yeah. in the sense that one of the benefits of a community college is the mix between our full-time instructors and our, our adjunct instructors who work in the world. It's the connection between the community and the college. Like that, sure. that is our goal. That is our, yeah. that's our mission. And um, so that's one of the huge benefits um, that I have in our department with people like Emily. She comes from a world of work and brings that into the classroom differently than you or I can as full-time sure. instructors. Now you have a lot more experience in the world of work than maybe I do. My, my, most of my work is here, but um, what we're what we're doing right now at the institution is broadening experiential learning here, so that students can see what the world of work lo looks like, um, and we do it. Uh, within programs like yours where students have to do an internship and we do it in other other areas where now students can 
take a part-time job and make it an internship. They can they can connect with um, people in the world of work and find out how they work. It's not so much find, going to Holman, for example, and getting a job there. It's about what is the world of work like mm-hmm. for me? What How do I want to work? What are my skill sets? And we all try to figure them out, those those processes out for ourselves as we grow. But if we could get students at the freshman, sophomore, junior level to experience work in different ways, they'll be better prepared. They'll be better able to understand what their skill sets are and then better able to serve the needs of an organization. Yeah, uh, And students have changed. That preparation word is yeah. probably most optimal for what oh, we yeah. can provide here at a community college. And knowing that every one of these, call it sophomore or junior level classes, I want my students to walk away with something that's going to make them better. So we work through cover letters or letters of intent or resume writing and interview preparation, you know, even life in, skills yeah. that they need just for any job, I, anything that they're going to go out And someone like for. Emily in the workforce knows what those skills are today. Correct. I'm, I used to be a career counselor, so I used to, I, I knew it from years ago, but it's changed. And so having somebody Certainly. that's up to date in the world of work Interacting with our students. Yeah. Yeah. The number of times that students have said, I came into this class not having any idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. I just came to college because that's what my friends did to, wow, you know, I've either weeded out areas I know for sure that's not what I want to do or... Wow, I didn't know that being, you know, a camp counselor for the last three summers actually built skill sets in me to be a great employee somewhere. And I love like exposing those moments for a student to have a shining star to walk out of here confident when they graduate college going, I actually can do something. I've done a lot more than I realize. Confidence. Giving them confidence. Totally. Helping them figure out that what they know is valuable is so important. And and we do that in class all the time. So you go into an, a, an English class, into an art class, and what, we're giving them those skills, a speech class. We're giving them those skills. They don't quite know how to connect the dots. I totally to, agree. To what yeah. their future is going You're to right. be. You're right. You're right. And then having someone like our adjuncts that, like you said, are in the real world. I use adjuncts that are in the real business of, of producing and directing and things like that. And having someone like yourself connected to the real world and sharing that with our students is so powerful. Um, you know, a lot of them, like you said, they don't they don't realize the first day, and then after the fifteen weeks, they're like, "Wow, they have grown." And and what you have shared with them is just so powerful. If you had asked me as a college student what my you know primary skill set or what my key competencies were going into the workforce. I can write a good paper and I know APA citations, you know, go like APA. We, we all love that, right? yeah. We love APA, don't we? But it's cool to be able to just expand their knowledge set on who they are as an individual. So, and I mean, taking the number of psychology classes that I did, you know, with um, Dr. Vandergrift, it was really inspiring to just know who I was when, you know, I continued yeah. my education. I mean, and we're coming back to that. Who am I, who you are, And it all starts with these students that come in day one. And, you know, I just want to bring it back to that connectivity of of connecting with the student in the classroom, because I think a lot of instructors don't have that knack. Mm -hmm. Right. And the 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 storytelling aspect and and allowing that student to connect with you is such a is is tough for some what are some tips that you would give people that are interested in 
you know, bettering themselves as an instructor in front of the classroom, what are some things that they can do to say, connect with the student, those students that you're, you're like looking at them, you haven't seen the aha moments. They're all buried now in their laptops, cell phones, every device known to man. How, how do we, how do we connect with them? What would be some top things you would share? Yeah, from my side, it's a lot about, you know, those first couple days in class, I want to know them. So it's about having them share stories Mm -hmm. so that as we work through the semester, I can key back to, if you did tell me who you want to be when you grow up, let's go back and lock in on an idea that's going to bring you back into the conversation um, I'm also a trained, you know, business facilitator. So it's a lot of, it sounds silly and we do it in breakout rooms virtually, but like markers and flip charts in a classroom to get people up and moving. Um, you know, we do sure. breakouts, we do, um, whether it's modeling behaviors or even some public speaking. So I know yeah. in the last lecture, there was this concept of like, I'm not a good public speaker and why would I want to be a professor? Right. I mean, I feel like I still put on my imposter cloak every time I get up in front of a classroom, right? It's still a thing. I still do. Yeah. Um, But helping them know that they can get past their imposter too, even as a student. So confidence builders, small public speaking snippets where they're telling me something about who they are, who they want to be, um, just things that are innate to them and not foreign, you know, concepts. So one of the things that I've always believed is that when you create a classroom environment where students feel safe mm-hmm. and secure and sure. um, and when you're authentic as an instructor, that you are honest when you make mistakes, when you, you know, all of that, when you're, when you're 100% open. there yeah. and there, they feel that, they get it. When, when you believe in them, they get it. Um, when I, I, I've said this to instructors a lot that, um, when a student, when a student doesn't perform the way that you hope that they do, that they, a lot of times instructors take things personally because you, you, many of us put everything in there, but we oftentimes forget that the student has their own situation going on. And, and then if the instructor gets mad at the student for not being what they, they could be, because clearly many of our students don't put in their full effort. They have much more potential and they don't do it. The instructor gets angry at them for not being there. But, but we have these, we don't know what's going on in each other's lives. We don't know. But when I'm an instructor and I can be authentic and I can provide that safe world that when I go up to a student that isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing, I can talk to them and go, dude, what's going on? It's not like I go, I cannot believe that you did that. I can, you know, why aren't you doing everything that you should be doing? Instead, it's a, what's happening? I'm here for you. And the student is it has a different experience for that. And there are times where I've had students who years later come back and go, yeah, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I apologize. And I can't be, I can't be taking that in. I can't be taking that all in. But I, but I also need to be there and open so that when they're ready to come, I'm there for them. Yeah, and I think that's so power that, powerful that you're that we say that we're there for them and you know behind us being these instructors we're also women we're mothers how does that how has that played in to you know work life and balance for you Emily as as being a woman being a mom having all these superpowers I love all your superpowers thank you um for me it's funny we joked about like calling them our kids um, sure. but I, I feel like these are my baby birds in a nest. Like every yeah. time we start a new semester, those are my baby birds and I want to see them spread their wings. And so 
I carry this sense of, I want everybody to what Donna was just sharing, yeah, right? Yeah. I want everybody to succeed and I can only do so much, but I'm going to make myself as available as I possibly can to coach you through it because that's what I can give to you. I can't do the work for you but I can certainly coach you through it. Uh, but even as a mom, there's silly things like now we're in a virtual environment. So I joke with them of like, I, they know I have a six-year-old son and he could pop in and ask me to switch a movie on the iPad or something in class. And right. when you can be real be and create real. that environment sure. of like, also to them, I joke that they'll never know the year that I graduated from RCBC. So they all think it's funny to then guess the rest of the semester. But <laughs> I was there and I remember what it was like to be in the classroom, right? And sure. and work through assignments and balance life. And I don't know, just make it all work. There's, I call it work-life harmony. It's all a little bit of like who I am. We're not balancing something when everything's in harmony and I can be present for each of those moments. I feel like a more holistic human um, when I can be present for my son and see him develop and accomplish new things, when I can be present, you know, in my day job and see my team succeed or see a mentee of my take on their new challenge. And then that same exact thing in the classroom, when I see these students come back on the last day and they're really sharing some growth opportunity that they found for themselves throughout the semester, there's a harmony in all of it. What's your harmony, uh, Grandma Van Degrift? Yes, <laughs> so, so clearly I've been teaching a long time. I, I remember years ago when I was an adjunct, my son broke his arm. And he, because he broke his arm, he couldn't walk, of course. That there's logic in there somehow. I'm not sure where, but um, but I had to bring him to class with me. So yeah. I, had, I physically had to carry him around in, at the front of class as I taught. Um, the benefit of working here has been for me that I've had flexibility to meet all of those needs. And um, I've had a husband that was deployed for two separate years um, um, overseas, and I was a single mom during those years. And so Having it all balanced, having it all in harmony is tough. It doesn't always mm-hmm. work. It's so it, tough. It doesn't it always work. Mm-hmm. And again, when you're authentic and you're real, you live that life and you do the best you can. And when people see that you're doing the best you can, they support that. They connect to it. They 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 feel comfortable with it. If you're fake about it, if you're not, if you're lying about it, that it doesn't seem to work as well. So um, so it's been an interesting path. And yes, I, I do now have two grandkids. I have three adult sons and two grandkids. And it's fascinating. I, I cannot believe it's been that long. And I've had well over 10,000 students in my classes. And I continue to look for them and, you know, approach them as they've grown up. And sure. now they feel like they're, I feel like you're all my age now because you weren't, we were a separate age. Now sure. we're all the same age. You wouldn't know yeah. it if you could see her. You are my age. What do you mean? I know right? she is. I know. Um, who's been your biggest supporter, Emily, for your career? My biggest supporter in my career growth, really, I look to my mom and it's kind of a wild thought to go this direction because there was a period in time that, you know, my parents thought I was going to go into the military and I was going to be just like my siblings and I was going to have a successful life. And this wild Emily, you know, the real rebel was like, oh, just kidding. I'm going to go to college. And how am I going to do that? I had just landed in New Jersey. I didn't know the power of the Burlington County community. I didn't know what I could do. And I had an inspiring homeroom teacher that said, no shot. You are not going in the military. You're going to college. And it's these little moments where people have been placed in my life at the right time to just inspire me for what these harmonious, harmonious yeah. moments that happen. Right. Someone's looking out for me or there are just great people when you are a good person that there's a reciprocity to that good energy. 
But now my mom looks back at me and she's like the constant woman behind me going, I can't believe you've done it again. And that's a unique kind of support for someone like me who's competitive. Cause it's like the moment and you shared this in your talk, the moment you tell me like, mm, I think you're done now. Just kidding. No, no, there's I'm another challenge. <laughs> there's another she's, challenge. She's yeah. never done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so my mom continuously pushes me. She challenges me to think differently. She's always there potentially telling me you're crazy. You're doing something else. And I go watch me, but you um, need that person. Need Everybody that. needs mm-hmm. that person and that's so that's a beautiful story how about for you donna who's your oh so so i'm gonna say one i'm my biggest supporter and i need to be i love that um i do i like it too but two i would say over the years it's been so different there's you you get different people in your life that do different things for you Uh, i mentioned um charles hamill chuck hamill a while ago um I, i i started teaching because of him um but when I met him, I had I was a single mom. I was struggling to raise a child as a single mom and teach and find a career and all this stuff. And I would frequently go in to see him and he would be like, are you okay? Are you okay? And every time I went to see him, he had this magical power over me to make me cry because he would ask me how I was. And all of a sudden, it changed. And he goes, he goes, how are you? You're different. I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm okay. So I think I had moved enough past the struggles of having being a single mom and raising a child the way it all happened to a point where I finally got confident and and I got it for myself. I, you know, I knew where I was headed and it's still beneficial to have those people in your life. And I have lots of those kinds of people that support me and pat me on the back. But I also after he said that to me, you look like you're okay, finally, kind of thing. It looks like you're good now. I, I, it changed. It changed. And I, I was able to, you know, really take steps further yeah. to, to to do that support for myself when I needed yeah, it. I think we all need to be an advocate for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us don't realize that. And I think especially as women, yes, we hesitate for that. I think mm-hmm. we, you know we're given a path in life that's a little bit different and and it's great that this podcast is happening because we're supporting women um but it, it but it it's different it's just a different path it is and i think it's hard to explain that right cuz i was like yeah we're going to do this amazing women's advocacy like podcast about women and they're like well what's different about that i'm like they're just something's different it just is I don't know. Do you have any expansion on that? I mean, <laughs> I work in the automotive world, so, so maybe. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. The automotive world's very male dominant. And kudos to Holman. They are yeah. incredible from a DEI perspective and making sure that everyone feels a part of the family. But what I have loved about both my role there and here as a professor is pulling that confidence out of a woman to say that I can do it, right? Love it. There's been a number of times that it was a moment of like, could I, should I, would I? And, you know, I've had some great male mentors that said, what are you doing? Like, what is, and I've coined it head trash. And I use head trash with my students all the time of like, when you set an intention for your follow on week of what we're going to do, because that's a, that's an exit ticket from all of my classes. We set intentions for the, for the next week that brings everyone into the conversation. So you set your intention for the next week and they do the, uh, I will, uh, kind of, and it's like, no, it's an, I will statement. When you have that confidence, when you get rid of the head trash, you can say, this is who I want to be this week. Um, and I get to now share that message with so many, whether it be students or, you know, younger employees of get rid of the head trash. 
that that doesn't solely happen with just women. I think that's the benefit mm-hmm. of this conversation as a whole. We sure. do things different. Yeah. We we do these different for a lot of different reasons. It's not just about gender, but and if we we would support people and understand that these differences are wonderful in a lot of ways. The way I might do something might be different from the person sitting next to me, and it could be a great thing. Um, <clears throat> but supporting each other is so essential, and mm-hmm. and helping students feel that confidence is one of the most important things we do. I totally agree. Uh, one of the things I do here um, at the podcast is while we're all talking, I write down all the really awesome things that everybody has been saying, and I turn them into hashtags. And I know you're a a social kind of uh, fiend, I guess. I am. Why don't you share a few of your socials and what you're doing now, and then I'll share uh, what we do here on the Baroness Podcast. I love that, and thank you for pushing me out of my comfort zone, because I think for the first (laughs) year and a half now that I've had this social media account, it's always that weird moment of like, I kind of do this thing. Yeah. Um, But my best friend Katie and I, uh, we run two savvy moms so the number two savvy dot moms on instagram and it is um, a space for us to show that we are very active working moms and we can live what would be a nice lifestyle without essentially exposing or getting rid of all of your financials so it's thinking about doing things buying right buying things on sale or stocking up for future um, seasons but also knowing that you can lean in and treat yourself every once in a while so we balance a little bit of both. You'll see all our crazy children out there um, and everything awesome. that we do. Essentially, it's a, a little bit of a lifestyle blog. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Well, I am definitely a savvy shopper, so I'm going to check that out. So what I ask is I write down all our really awesome topics and things that I've heard through our conversation and I turn them into hashtags and then I go back to my guests and I ask them if they had hashtags about who they are or what they want to be or what their hashtag or what their motto or slogan is that they live by to turn it into a hashtag. So I'm going to read the hashtags from today and then we're going to turn it over and you guys can list a few, say one or two or whatever you, whatever you would like to do. So hashtag work life harmony, hashtag no head trash, hashtag this is who I want to be, hashtag I will Hashtag can do it, real, skill sets, world of work, hashtag connection, hashtag authentic, culture, hashtag generation, hashtag creating community. I'm not done yet, by the way. Hashtag confidence, hashtag wonderfully, hashtag come alive, hashtag don't you know who I am, hashtag influence, Hashtag wasn't in the movies and hashtag not a textbook. So those are some hashtags that if I had to go and do all the hashtagging for today, those would be some of the things that I would look out for. So if you had a motto or a hashtag for yourself, what would it be? Mine would be hashtag empower the next. Ooh, I like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love it. Dr. Van Dicken. I was going to go with um, hashtag miles to go. Love it. Which is my tattoo. I ah. love it. Ooh. So I, I, I want to, my focus is always, there's still more to do and I'm still going to do it. I absolutely love that. I want to thank you both uh, for joining with, you know, joining us here at the Baroness podcast today. It has been an amazing ride. 
really beautiful. I, I'm thinking Emily should be our next last lecture. Oh my uh, gosh, yes. <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm like, the, like uh, it's the connection just sitting here right now is just unbelievable. So again, I want to thank Dr. Uh, Vandergraft and Emily Graham for speaking with us today. If you want to hear from women who lead and inspire, this podcast is for you. You've been listening to the RCBC Baroness podcast, which highlights women in leadership while encouraging listeners to build their skills, connect with the community, and visualize opportunities available to women in various professions. For more information about this podcast or other podcasts available on the RCBC Podcast Network, visit rcbc.edu slash podcast. Take care. Thanks. You've been listening to the RCBC Baroness Podcast, which highlights women in leadership while encouraging listeners to build their skills, connect with the community, and visualize the opportunities available to women in various professions. For more information about this podcast or other podcasts available on the RCBC Podcast Network, visit rcbc.edu slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the RCBC Baroness Podcast available on all streaming platforms.